listening to Inner Warm Up. I'm your host, Taylor Lise Morrison, founder and author of Inner Workout, ICF certified coach, and fellow journeyer. In 2017, I set out to build a life that didn't burn me out, and I found my life's work in the process. On Inner Warm Up, we talk about how self care and inner work show up in your relationships, your career, your schedule, and in the conversations you have with yourself. We get practical, we get nuanced, and we're not afraid to challenge wellness as usual. So take a deep breath and get curious. This is where your inner work begins. We're in for a treat today. Today's guest is Kamisha L. Jones. She's a community mental wellness change maker and a licensed clinical social worker who serves at the intersection of culture, community, and social justice. She's the executive director of Sista Afia Community Mental Wellness, which is a social enterprise providing low-cost mental wellness care that centers the experiences of Black women in Chicago. Since their founding in 2017, they've served over 1,000 Black women in Chicago through their innovative, community-driven programs. In 2020, they launched the Sista Afia Community Care Non-For-Profit, which provides free mental wellness care and education to women experiencing multiple barriers to care. So keep listening to hear what brought Kamisha to therapy as a patient, her tips for finding your best fit therapist, an insight to what it feels like to be on the other end of a therapist breakup. Want to know how growth starts? With asking yourself the right questions. Our free Take Care Assessment asks you 75 questions that get to the root of what you need most right now. After completing the assessment, you'll get a PDF profile with practices based on your results. Head to the link in our show notes to take care today. Kamisha, I am so, so excited for this conversation. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. So the whole idea of this season is that we wanted to talk to people who were practitioners and kind of experts in their field about what people should know and be aware of as they're looking to work with people like them. And so I wanted to talk to you for a lot of reasons, but because I think you bring such an interesting perspective to conversations about therapy. So before I dive straight into the topic, which sometimes I have a tendency to do, let me zoom out and let you introduce yourself. Can you tell us just a little bit about you and about your work? Yeah, sure, sure. So Kamisha Jones, I am a licensed clinical social worker and also a mental illness survivor. So I came to this work and came to the mental health field really out of my personal experience of just navigating the mental health care system. When I was in my senior year in college and then moving on to graduate school, I had my first mental health crises. And when I had my crises, no one in my family had ever at least was diagnosed with a mental health condition. So navigating the mental health care system was something that was new to me, new to my family. And I definitely felt like a lot of shame. And I felt like I did something wrong. And so I blamed myself for what I was experiencing with my mental health. And so when I would go to spaces, I would have practitioners that didn't look like me. 
And I was also a lot of times the only Black women in these different therapy groups and different modalities in terms of being able to heal from a mental health condition. So I decided to do something about it and kind of use, you know, my personal experience, but also this really great training that I got in graduate school and merging the two together to create Pisafia. Uh, and we're a social enterprise that provides mental wellness care that centers the experiences of Black women. And so therapy for me has been life-saving. I'm still in therapy to this day, even though I was diagnosed 10 years ago. <laughs> this summer will be 10 years. But I know that if I didn't have it, if I wasn't able to access it, my life experiences and my trajectory just would have been really, really different. So I in some ways in the living example of what it looks like to get on the other side of stability and to be thriving in life after engaging in mental health care. Yeah. And that's part of why I wanted to speak to you because like you said, you have firsthand experience of being in therapy and not always feeling represented in therapy, but then you also went to grad school for social work and have this depth of training and then the work that you do through Sister Afia allows people to have access to therapy. And I'm wondering, you shared why therapy and having that access to therapy was so valuable for you. And like you said, your life would probably look really different if you weren't able to access therapy. Why did you then decide that it was important enough for you to make it your life's work, really? to make sure that other people, especially other Black women, had access to therapy? I believe that having access to therapy is important because if we look at like our history in this country, there have been, you know, our ancestors, our family members that have been struggling with mental health, but they maybe called it different things or didn't seek help and then it got progressively worse. So if we're able to have people access therapy when they start to experience challenges with their mental health, it makes it more likely that they'll recover faster and also that it doesn't have such a negative impact on their functioning and their capabilities in their everyday lives. So having access to therapy specifically for Black women who We've talked about the strong women trope and, you know, not showing weakness or believing we have it, all those different things that are out there. It gives Black women a space to be honest, to be vulnerable and to receive support. There are so many women that I know that when I ask them, you know, what do you need? They're like, no one ever asked me that, <laughs> you know, or what help do you need? It's hard for me to ask for help. So I think therapy is this space where Black women can really just kind of take off all these different things that are put on us, these expectations, and to show up as our authentic selves and to also receive care, receive help, which isn't something that is always happening. So having access to therapy just really helps with that process for anybody, but especially for communities that have not always had the opportunity to engage in therapy and to do so in a way that can be really transformative. We did a whole season on this idea of being the strong friend because I, I find it so often we feel like we need to have everything together. And I love this idea of therapy as a space where 
we can unlearn some of those ideas and not just literally like you're working through your trauma, you're working through things in therapy, but also even just the act of showing up, you're putting yourself in a position to receive, which for many of us, like you said, that's not a position that we're used to being in. I'm curious because in your story, and you can correct me if I'm misinterpreting, but it sounds like kind of things came to you ahead with your mental health. And so I'm almost picturing like sirens, like it was very obvious flashing lights, like I need therapy, I need to get support. It's not always that obvious for people. So what are some signs that like, hey, maybe I should seek out a therapist in this instance? Sometimes that someone will need to access therapy has to do with your basic functioning. So if you're not able to do the things that you would normally do because of mental distress, that is one of the biggest signs that you would need therapy. So for example, say you're living with anxiousness or worry, and you're so worried that you stop going out with your friends or your family, or you're so anxious and worried that you're not able to sleep at night, and that affects you to be well the next morning. So really it's when your basic functioning is really being interrupted on a regular basis. And that's across all mental health conditions. So anxiety, depression, traumatic stress, schizophrenia, bipolar, all of those things. So if you start to notice those shifts, that is when it's important to take action as soon as possible. Because what I see a lot from my own experience, but also in the work that we do at Sophia is women come to us when it's gotten really, really bad. And they may have seen their functioning change. They may have seen their mental and behavioral responses change, but they thought that it was okay and they didn't really need to, to get help. So engaging in therapy, when you either start to experience a little bit of it, or even if you anticipate that you're going to have a major life event that's going to change your everyday life, like becoming a mother, getting married, graduating for college, starting a career, someone passed away. Those are also really important times to go ahead and seek therapy because of just the sensitivity of those time periods. I really appreciate that you talked about kind of that duality. So one is it's gotten so bad and you're noticing like, I can't get out of bed or I'm not going out or I'm unable to concentrate on the things that I normally would enjoy or the things that I have to concentrate on. Like for example, if you can't do your work, but also if you notice I used to love watching movies and now I can't even do that anymore those are signs to go to therapy. But then also I liked this proactive side that you mentioned too, which is like, okay, I know that I'm going to be getting married or graduating or some other big life. I'm moving across the country. Maybe it's a good time for me to get in therapy as well. And I've noticed for my own journey that previously I would wait until things got like really bad where my anxiety was really bad or those types of things to be like, okay, maybe I need therapy now. And what I've started to realize is I'm getting a little bit better at proactively seeking support. Like when my book was coming out and I had also gotten diagnosed with ADHD, I was like, okay, 
I'm going to have a lot of changes. I already have this big change that's come up in terms of a diagnosis, but also with the book, I know that that could bring up a lot of stuff for me. Let me go ahead and seek support so that I'm already supported as I'm navigating those things. So both can be true. That's really helpful. I'm like, I need that note to myself as a reminder of like, okay, Taylor, right now I'm actively in therapy, but I might get to a point and we'll talk about this later where I might be like, it's a, it's okay for me to pause. Those are good reminders for when I need to seek coming back to therapy. Which brings me to another point. What should we be considering when we're looking for a therapist? I will say, especially as someone who has ADHD, it can be so overwhelming to find a therapist. And I have been in situations where like, I've figured out that I need therapy in the process of finding a therapist seems so daunting and overwhelming that I just kind of freeze. So the process to actually find a therapist is where people can just stop, right? Because they're like, this is too hard. There's too many steps. Who's a good fit? Like the whole search process is actually one of the biggest barriers in terms of people being able to access therapy. When you're looking for a therapist, the first thing that you want to look for is alignment with what you're experiencing. So all therapists don't treat all things. You have therapists that may uh, specialize in supporting people with depression, issues around self-esteem, self-worth, anxiety, marital issues, like the list goes on. So the first thing that you want to do if you go to a therapy directory, say like Therapy for Black Girls or Psychology Today or Zencare, in that little search queue, you want to check off, okay, what are the therapists that specialize in this particular thing that I'm experiencing? So that's the first step. The second step is affordability. This is also one that people get really, really, really caught up on because insurance, like sometimes I just hate the health insurance sector because people may be like, oh, I have health insurance, but I have this deductible that I have to meet. And deductible means that you have to pay out of pocket before insurance will cover it. And so they may find out I have this 3000 deductible that I have to pay. And so I'm just not even going to, therapy is just going to have to wait because I can't pay that amount of money out of pocket until my services are covered. So making sure that if you have insurance or Medicaid or you're paying out of pocket, that that therapist accepts it. Because sometimes people will think, oh, I found a therapist. They match what I'm looking for, but oh crap, I can't afford it. Or I don't have the insurance coverage that that therapist takes. And then lastly, interviewing a therapist, right? So if you're looking for a therapist, you may want to choose three that you see that are, that seem like a best fit for you after reading their website, reading their bio, and then doing a consultation with those therapists to learn about their style, learn about how they can support you, to learn if you're a good fit. Because sometimes you might think a therapist is a good fit, but then when you talk to them, both of you may find out that you may not be aligned. And so that is the process that I recommend. It takes work. So if you're looking for something to be like very, very easy, the process is not really that easy. I wish it was easier, but those are some of the things that I think can be helpful throughout your search process to make it maybe a little bit easier than without having this information. Yeah, I like that breakdown of do they treat what I want to be treated? Is 
Like, is there that alignment looking into the payment pieces of it and then getting to the relational piece as well? So it can take time. And yeah, I guess I'm wondering if you have any tips in that therapist interview, so to speak, which would typically be like some therapists might have an intake session. Everyone does it slightly different, but are there questions that we should be asking? I know I've had instances where maybe I've been several sessions in and then realized, oh, wait, like there is not alignment here. And this is actually worse for my mental health to be working with you than if I wasn't working with the therapist. So any tips there for interviewing therapists? One, you want to know their experience. So how long have they been supporting people who are experiencing what you are experiencing or want to bring to therapy? The second thing to ask is what are their approaches? Are they person-centered? Do they focus on building upon your strengths? Do they use a particular type of therapy? So for example, people who are experiencing traumatic stress, one of the top therapy practices is EMDR. So it's like, do you use those types of therapeutic approaches? And I'm going to pause you there. I know what EMDR is, but I know not everyone knows what that is. Can you break down what that acronym means? Yes, it's eye movement, desensitization. I forget what the R is. I forget what the R is therapy. So there are different approaches to therapy. For example, at the Saafia, we have therapists that do Black feminist therapy, right? So it's like, there's all these different approaches. And so asking about what approaches they use is really important. And then also time commitment. Some therapists cannot meet with people weekly, right? Or some therapists or people may want to meet with their therapist more than once a week or once a month and all those different things. So the frequency is also important because say someone is going through some challenges repeatedly, they need that more hands-on therapist than a therapist who you can kind of pop in a little bit less frequently. So scheduling is something else that's important as well. And then also like typically how long are people seeing them for therapy? Like, how long do you think I'll be in therapy? Is it three months? Is it six months? Is it a year? And so that can help you to know what your trajectory looks like. Sometimes it's kind of hard to tell how long someone needs to be in therapy. But usually, I would say, on average, probably six months. But it just really depends on the severity of what someone's experiencing and how much ongoing support they'll need. We all have 24 hours in the day, but depending on your schedule, your responsibilities, and your finances, it doesn't always feel like that. We built the Inner Workout app to help you practice self-care with the time you have. It's filled with journaling practices, meditations, and mini courses called Journeys that you can complete in 10 minutes or less. But that's not all. Find more time for self-care with lock sessions, which go beyond notification blocking and allow you to lock yourself out of apps that steal your time and attention. Visit innerworkout.co slash app or click the link in the show notes to add the Inner Workout app to your support system. That's so, so helpful. And what I was realizing as I was listening is In a lot of instances with therapy, I haven't felt like I was allowed to ask those questions. I kind of felt like, 
oh my gosh, I found someone. I'm so happy that I found someone. Let's just make it work. Instead of feeling empowered to ask those questions that make sure it's a fit for both of us. So I just appreciate that reminder. And for anyone else listening, like we have permission to ask some questions of our therapist and it's probably going to make the experience better both for us as the people seeking therapy as well as for the therapist. So I just needed that reminder. Thank you, Kamisha. You mentioned something else in there that I want to loop into, which are the different types of therapy. How can we know what type of therapy we need? Like I've done cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a pretty popular one. I have anxiety. So I know with all of the thoughts and things that can happen in my head, it's nice to be able to break them down and reframe my thoughts using cognitive behavioral therapy. You mentioned EMDR. I have a friend who's in somatic therapy. There's the other one, DBT. Dialectical behavioral therapy. Yeah. And that's a little bit more, has brings more mindfulness into it. There's so many different types. So I guess I'm wondering like, how do we know what types are effective? I could see myself going down a rabbit hole and not knowing which one would be right for me. Well, one, I think, you know, especially now people use Google and ChatGBT and all these TikTok or they use all these different things to learn about different therapeutic approaches. I would say something to Google, like say, if you're experiencing depression, what are the top therapeutic approaches for depression? And then usually there'll be some blog post or something that will list all these different therapeutic approaches, how they're similar, how they're different, and then maybe seeing which one seems like it would be a good fit for you. And then also asking like the therapist that you interview, can you tell me more about this particular therapeutic approach that I've come across? Those are some ways that you can like learn more about therapeutic approaches. I would say it's important But also one of the most important things is your relationship with the therapist and how you all are able to achieve your goals. And the therapeutic approach is just a way to help you to achieve your therapeutic goals. So it's important, but also I would say the relationship that you have with the therapist and actually really working towards goals and just using what's necessary to help you to work towards those goals is just as like equally important. That's helpful. So in the grand scheme of things, if you can find a therapist that you feel like you trust and have a good rapport with, that may even be more important than having CBT versus DBT or any other number of things. Yeah, absolutely. Because I've seen some therapists that on paper, they look really good, but they're not good at building a relationship. They're very standardized. So sometimes what you see on paper doesn't necessarily translate into the therapeutic relationship. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because, I mean, it's just like dating or interviewing someone for a job. Their resume or the profile could say one thing and then you actually sit down with them and you're like, oh, wait, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And it sounds like it's not any different for therapy. Leaning even more into this piece on the therapeutic relationship, I'm wondering 
how we know when it's time to move on from therapy or a therapist. And I'm thinking of two particular instances here. So one could be kind of like the therapy has run its course. Like you said, like it's been six months, it's been eight months, it's been a year. And like now you're able to function and you're feeling pretty good versus maybe you have an instance where you realize you still need therapy, but maybe the therapist themselves might not be a fit for you anymore. So you can pick which one you want to start with. But my overall question is like, what are some signs it might be time to move on from either therapy in general for a season or a therapist specifically? So I'll start with therapy. When it's time to move on from therapy is when you're stable, when you're thriving, when you have the coping skills or the tools or the practices where you can maintain your own mental wellness. And also that when challenges arise, that you can respond to those in ways that really help to, I would say, like to help to keep your mental health on the right trajectory. So, for example, say you've been in therapy for six months and you've been focused on being more active because you've been experiencing depression. And say if you're socializing with your friends, if you're able to get out of the bed and not struggle with that anymore, if you're able to do engaging activities, hobbies, et cetera, and you're feeling good, like that's an example of when it's okay to move on. Now, for moving on from a therapist is if you feel stuck, if you feel like you're not making progress if you feel like there's something more that could be done and that you're missing that thing then that can be a time where it's time to move on for a therapist we can also outgrow our therapist as well there can be people that we may work with for one season in our life because we may be dealing with something in particular but say you know you want to deal with something that may be a little bit harder maybe a little bit more deeper Sometimes you may need to graduate to another therapist who may have more experience to help you with those things that the other therapist cannot help you with. So those are examples of like when to move on. And then also moving on if you feel like you're not making a connection with the therapist, which is what you brought up earlier. If you are not making a connection with the therapist and you all don't have a strong and healthy therapeutic relationship, it's okay to move on. Starting over can be really hard because it's like, oh, I went through this whole process. I met this therapist. It's not a good fit, but it's better to get out early than to have time pass. And it makes it a little bit more challenging to be able to start that search process over again. Yeah, I appreciate that reminder. I always call it a therapist breakup. I don't know if other people call it that too, but I had to break up with a therapist and I felt really bummed because I was like, I did so much work. I found this therapist. I thought she was going to be great. She was a black woman therapist. And when it just came down to it, I don't know what exactly she had coming on, but she was like canceling last minute a lot. And I was putting these time in my calendar and was being really prepared with things that I wanted to speak with her about. And then I'd find out shortly before, oh, wait, we can't meet. And we don't know exactly when we can meet again because 
I run a business, I have a pretty full schedule. So like if I'm blocking this time for you, that doesn't mean I can then transfer for it later. And I realized like, okay, this is not just one off. It's becoming a pattern, but I found this person. I don't want to give it up. And then I ultimately realized, but I'm not able to make the progress that I want to make if I'm preparing for these therapy sessions. And then she's not showing up or is last minute telling me that she can't show up. And it was really hard to do that. But now I have a therapist that I feel so much more supported by. And I'm glad I made the decision to make that switch rather than just kind of trying to stick it out for too much longer. It's rough. It is. It is. And sometimes we can really like a person and they're not a good fit to be in our lives (laughs) in terms of therapy. So I can understand how that like can be, can definitely be challenging for sure. Yeah. And I appreciate that reminder. Like we can like them and for whatever, like like them as a person, you breaking up with them doesn't mean like they are terrible therapists. They're just not the right fit for you in this season. I do wonder, speaking of using this terminology of like a therapist breakup, do you have any tips for how to approach that conversation? Because it can be intimidating to end a relationship or pause a relationship. And I haven't been on the apps for dating, but I know from talking with friends that sometimes our tendency when something is difficult is just to ghost. And I'm not sure that that's the best approach in therapy. So do you have any tips for having that conversation? Yeah, definitely. There are definitely people who ghost therapists all the time for a variety of reasons. The therapist says something they didn't like. They don't think it's a good fit because they can't actually face or have the conversation. I think that if you're someone where it's a little bit more difficult for you to speak in person, like in that in your actual session and say you're ready to move on, it's just send an email. Just send an email saying, hey, I appreciate the time we've worked together, but I've realized that I need a different type of approach in therapy. I appreciate the time we've had together. If there are any referrals that you have to other providers based on what you know about me, please send them my way. So that's like a really easy way to do it if you're someone who may really struggle with having that conversation with the therapist in a session. If you are in a session with a therapist, you could almost say the exact same thing. I've been thinking and reflecting on our time together, and I realized that I need something different in therapy than what has been provided to this at this time. And just show your gratitude for them spending time with you, supporting you, and then begin your search process. So it's it's really, I think we may make it harder than what it really is, but If you keep it short, sweet, simple, to the point, either through email, calling the office, or in a therapy session, then it helps. And therapists really appreciate that. Like, everyday people, how does it feel to get ghosted? You don't even know why. You don't even know what happened. (laughs) You don't know if something could have been done differently. And so when you are able to end in that way, it kind of leaves on a good for both parties. And sometimes... You know, I've asked clients, like, is there anything that was missing or anything that I could have done better? And that also gives the therapist insight to, oh, okay, maybe I could do that differently with a future client or this is how this approach came across. 
I love that. And just that reminder, like, yeah, therapists are people too. It's easy to forget that because we're having these like intimate, vulnerable conversations and therapists go to training to be able to hold space for those conversations. And I think sometimes we forget like the personhood that they're people too. This is their job that they're highly qualified to do in something as simple as sending an email or if you can have a conversation in person can go a really long way. I've got just a couple questions left for you. You mentioned this at the beginning that something that can get in the way of people going to therapy is the dollars and cents of it. Like it can be expensive. It isn't always accessible. And so I'm wondering, what would you recommend? Are there any practices that you would recommend for people who just simply cannot afford therapy right now? So one, of course, I'll shout out to Sophia Community Care. We provide free therapy. But one good place to start are public health clinics or nonprofit organizations, because both of those places will provide therapy based and it won't be based on your ability to pay. So that is pretty much in the clear. The challenge is that sometimes you're not able to have as much of a, of a variety with therapists because there's so few of them compared to therapists that may be in private practice. You can also check out this website called Open Path Therapy Collective. And so all the therapists on that website offer therapy sessions between $30 and $60 a session, which I think is a lot more affordable for people than the standard rate for therapy is like maybe $130 a session or something like that if you're paying out of pocket. And also you can ask therapists about sliding scale if there's a therapist that you're really interested in. You can ask them do you offer sliding scale therapy? And there are more places that offer that now more than ever. So I would say those are some options if you're struggling with affordability. And then the last question, I'm really curious to hear your answer for this. What is one misconception about therapy that you would love to set the record straight on? So one misconception about therapy is that what I mentioned in the beginning, that it's only when things get really, really bad. Therapy can be really, really helpful if you're able to access it or use it when you start to feel changes. There are so many, I don't even have enough numbers in my head about how many people who think that therapy is for crazy people. People think therapy is for when it's really, really severe. And that's not true at all. Sometimes we can benefit from therapy in a variety of times, uh, time frames in our lives. And so I would say the misconception around when you should seek therapy and what it looks like when you should seek therapy is one that really gets under my skin, but also that ther- mental health and therapy is preventative. Some people think it's more reactionary, but actually, if you're in therapy consistently and you're working with a therapist that's a really good fit for you, it can be preventative to all these other things happening. And so I really encourage people to not look at therapy as something that you need when things get really, really bad, but just as 
something of having like an objective person that can really help you and support you during these various stages, challenges, or seasons in your life. I love both of those. This has just been such a great conversation. I hope that this will be a resource for people who are thinking about being therapy, are navigating finding a therapist. And I want to say thank you again for sharing so much of your wisdom, Kamisha. If people want to stay in touch with you, they want to get connected with the work of Sista Afia, where can they find you? So if you're in Illinois and you're interested in therapy with us, we have five therapists on our team. So um, you can go to sistaafia.com slash therapy and sign up. We can see anybody in Illinois virtually and also if you're in the Chicagoland area in person. If you want to follow us on social media at Sisafia, we post very regularly so you can see what we have going on and get a feel of everyone who's a part of our business. And then also I'm on LinkedIn. I post personally, I post the most on LinkedIn. So you would just find me at Kamisha L. Jones and you can like learn more about my background, my work and ways to stay connected. And I respond to people. Like if people send me a message on LinkedIn, there's like a 90% chance I'm going to respond if they have a question. So yeah, those are the ways that you can stay connected. And thank you again, Taylor, for having me on the Inner Warm Up podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for being here. Inner Warm Up is a collaborative effort. It's hosted by me, Taylor Elise Morrison. Danielle Spaulding provides production support and it's edited by Carolina Duque. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend. And if you're looking to continue your inner work, our free take care assessment is a great place to start. On that note, take care.